right. Good morning. We are in the book of Genesis, and um, just a word to parents. Uh, this morning's message is kind of PG-13, so if you normally don't have your kids over in the children's service, today would be the good Sunday to do that if you choose to. Um, this morning, our scripture reader is Dr. Chenda Moore, so Miss Chenda, if you'll come up here for us, welcome her this morning. You know, Dr. Chen, I've had this pain in my side. Chenda. Not that kind of doctor, right? I'm just Chenda. All right. Can you see the screen from there? I can. If not, you're welcome to stand over here. Oh, All right. Okay. Genesis I guess chapter I can 19. Look closer there to you. Go. That's fine. Genesis chapter 19. Y'all follow along as Miss Chenda reads for us in verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And when they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you, to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping at the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Go back. I'm sorry, I got it. A little fast. Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. 
let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen to the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in for us after the manner of all the earth. Come in to us, that is. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Matenda. Amen. <clears throat> wow. That's a lot of rough, gross stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. And uh, like I said, uh, this is a PG-13 message, so if you have kids in here. But I was really wrestling this week in a lot of ways. And one of the things I was wrestling with, to maybe to divide this up into two sermons, but I really feel like the flow of the continuity of all the immorality has to be under one heading. So... Uh, like the stewardess says, you know, buckle up. We're going to be flying fast at a high altitude. So I'm going to talk fast so you listen quick, okay? I normally do talk fairly quickly because I'm a recovering Yankee, but I will try to uh, talk slow enough to understand, but quick enough to get through this material. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is The Pathetic Path of the Compromising Christian. The Pathetic Path of the Compromising Christian. There's a lot of things we can learn from Lot and everybody else in this story. We'll divide up into different categories. There's the angelic ambassadors at the beginning. There's the wicked welcomers, the angelic action, and the Lot's family lingers, the judgment of Jehovah, and finally the daughter's debauchery. Again, none of them pleasant. A lot of stuff to go through. How many angels? Two. How many appeared? How many people? How many men appeared to Abraham? It was three. One of them was the Lord himself. But now the Lord, as we saw last week, he's stopping, he's having a conversation with Abraham. He sends the other two angels on. He's delegating this destruction. He's not even going to go there in person to do this. It's still going to be at his hand, if you will. And so here's Lot. We even question whether Lot should be in this situation at all. We can go back to when God first called Abraham. He said, leave your family. But he brought along his dad and his nephew Lot. And so when we make partial disobedience 
plans with God, it tends to come back to bite us, and this is going, and then and it tends to hurt the people we also bring along if we're outside of God's will. But Lot here is sitting in the gate. Now, sitting in the gate in those terms means he was like, if you said somebody sat at City Hall, they're not just sitting on their porch. That means they hold a position there. The gate was the place of commerce, of of, of judicial decisions, of everything. It it was the town hall. And the elders are the ones who sat in the gate and made decisions. So Lot has gone to, from just being a visitor to elevated to where now he is a city leader, and for better or for worse. It's interesting, if you go back several chapters, when Abraham said, hey man, our, our herds are overlapping, our employees are not getting along, your cattle industry and my cattle industry are exploding, and we can't share the same part of land because it's starting to cause disputes between our herdsmen. So I tell you what, let's go a different direction. You pick. And Lot just said, no, you're the elder. You pick. Abraham was just being polite, but Lot was being selfish. So he lifted up his eyes, and he looked towards that valley. So he starts off where he's just looking that direction. That's all. There's no harm in looking, right? And then in verse 12, though, it says later he settled and he moved there right up against his tent as far as Sodom. He didn't move in. He just said, well, I'll just make it financial gains from the city by being close to it, but I won't move in to that wicked city. And then he goes to the point where he's sitting on city council. Okay? So you see the progression and the slippery slide into sin. And that's what it does. Our lives are destroyed often by a slow, slippery slide into sin. You and I have both talked to people whose lives were a total mess. And you say, hey, how did you get here? And it wasn't like, boom, one decision. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's one small compromise that leads to another small compromise, which leads to another one. And next thing you know, you're in the city gate at Sodom, the most wicked city on the planet. You know, and you're supposed to be a leader there, but your life is falling apart. Be careful about these little decisions. Like Solomon said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. So it's interesting. You, this story parallels last week's encounter with Abraham and the angels. When Lot saw him, he rose to meet them, and he bowed with his face to the earth. Notice something different about the posture there. And he said, my lords, please turn in. And, 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 and as you read the rest of the story, you see, he's like, no, please, please get in here quick. <laughs> he knows that this lot of evil is going on around him. And he's really, this word please means he's like begging them. And he says, and then, you know, spend the night here. I'll feed you whatever. But you get up really early and get out of here. You know, he's really being polite, but he wants them gone because he knows that where he lives is not a good place. He, he's embarrassed. That, it, that the angels would come to visit him. And they're like, no, we're, I think we're going to spend the night out in the town square. They're like razzing him. They know what's going on in this city. And he's like, his eyes get really big and think, oh my gosh, no, no, you can't spend the night out there. And in fact, he's like, no, please, please, I, I'm urging you strongly, please come into my house because he knows how wicked his city is. And if you contrast his hospitality with Abraham's, it's really, really interesting. Abraham, last week, we saw that he sat at the entrance of his tent in the Oaks of Mamre. Here's Abraham chilling with his family in the middle of God's blessings. Everything is great. He's under the shade tree, which is a great place in the Bible. You see trees are symbolic of God's blessing. And Oaks of Mamre means the place of sin. Man, I get to see what God is doing. I even get to see God where I'm at right now. I am in a perfect place out here in the country, just chilling with my family. And where Lot is at, he's in the most wicked place, and he's not only there, but he's in a position of, of power there. So when Lot saw these angelic and divine visitors, he got up and ran to them, right? I mean, old men did not run in this culture. That was not sophisticated, but he was so excited to see God and his angelic visitors that he ran to them. And you look at what Lot did, he just stood up. He just rose to meet them. And then you see that Abraham, it says he bowed himself, like his whole body to the earth. He was face down in worship before the Lord. But when Lot sees the angelic visitors, he just bows his head. You know, he just puts his face to the earth. He's not showing near the respect that is due. You know, and, and it's interesting, people who are not living godly don't have a respect for what's reverent. They, they, they giggle during church. They, they talk during prayer. They, they don't really pay attention when the Word of God is being read. They, they don't really, they might bow their head like everybody else, but they're really not into it, you know. 
and, and we should be reverent when it comes to things of God. And then Abraham, he said, hey, Sarah, man, take some time and knead this bread. Put some yeast in it. Let's make it a big, fluffy yeast roll, you know, big enough to feed. Remember, there was three of them, and there was enough bread for each one to feed an entire family. And this took some time. And then he, and, uh, but Lot, what does Lot do? He's like, no, get some unleavened bread. That's, that's the bread. You don't even take time for it to rise. You just cook it quickly. Because remember, in Exodus 12, they said, bake, bake this bread because you need to eat it in haste. You need to hurry up and get out. Have your sandals on. Get ready to go. He wants these people a quick meal and get them gone. This is the first mention of fast food in the Bible right here. And so he picks out, Abraham personally picks out a good and tender calf. This is more than just a meal. This is a sacrifice. He recognizes that this is worship, and he's making a big financial sacrifice in this situation. And what does Lot do? It says he offers them a feast, but that word feast is misleading. It, the, the word feast here just means any amount of food served with alcohol. And so it's really, the word banquet could have been a better word translated here, but it just means you here's some food and here's some alcohol with it. It means, so now we've upgraded from a dinner to a party, basically, is all that's, that's happening here. Uh, Abraham stood by like a waiter and served them. He, while they're sitting and reclining, he's like a waiter standing by like, oh, can I get you some more of this? Can I get you some more of that? Let me get you some more water. You know, He's doing all those things. But what, is, what does Lot do? He sat down and he ate with them. He just kind of saw them as equals. No reverence there again. Abraham willingly went to set them on their way, the passage says. You know, not only did he say, okay, bye, see you guys. He walked them down the road. He took them a long way down the path. It's almost like taking your relatives to the airport and seeing them all the way out to the terminal. And, but Lot, he didn't even want to leave town. He had to be dragged out by the hand out of this wicked city. And that brings us to the wicked welcomers. The wicked welcomers. So before they could even lay down, the men of the city, word spread, the men of Sodom, they're making sure you know exactly who we're talking about, all ages, all the people to the very last man. Now, I, I did a little research, and, and there's really not a lot of evidence because Sodom was totally destroyed. But how big was this city? I've read anything from 1,200, which would be approximately 600 men, which you could see that number happening, to thousands. We really don't know how big the city was, but they surrounded the house, and their intentions are, are not good. It, it, it's, it, science says that a certain percentage of the population is just born gay. Well, then my question is, then how is it that 100% of the men in this city are involved in sodomy? Because you're not born this way. This is a perverted behavior that spreads and is addicting. And it, it's just wrong, and it spreads into a culture. And the more a culture condones it, the more it spreads. So why is it that scientists say, you know, anywhere from 3 to 7% of the population is homosexual, and then all of a sudden, 21% of millennial females identify as bisexual? That's a trend. That's not genetics. That's a trend because we make it popular. It's interesting. There was one female black rapper who made a, a, an album cover of her in a compromising situation with another female, and black lesbianism jumped up 120%. It's based on trends and peer pressure and culture. It's not based on genetics. And again, how can 100% of these men claim now to be homosexual or at least bisexual or perverted in any sense of the word because it's not based on a percentage of the society? Anybody cringing yet besides me? Okay. And when they call the lead, they say, where are the men? Now, that's important. Hold on to that. They don't say, where are the angels? They, they just think they're just guys. And again, that they, they were dressed in normal clothing. And that's why Abraham thought they were men when they first approached, but then realized who they were. And that's why he ran to them. And then, oh, let me back up. It says, and, and then it said that, bring them out that we may know them. This is the same word all throughout the Bible. It says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It means to know in an intimate sexual way. Liberal pastors will say, oh, just, they were just being hospitable. We hey, just want to get to know your friends here. Yeah, right. It's, it's interesting how people will twist the Bible to say what they wanted to say. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and they shut the door after him. <laughs> he locks it, you know, and he's like, hey, I'm begging you. My brothers, my, my brothers, he's not related to any of them, okay? And, and he's not spiritually connected to any of them for sure, but he's trying to smooth them. He's trying to appeal to them, trying to talk like, hey, guys, how are you doing? You know, we're, we're good friends. We're like brothers, right? But then he says, hey, don't do this wicked thing. 
They weren't there for hospitality. This was not the welcome wagon. They were there for sexual perversion, and it, it's really a, a, dark, a dark scene here. Progressive Bible teachers say this doesn't condemn homosexuality, but it condemns gang rape. I read article after article after article of so-called preachers saying, this is not condemning homosexuality. This is saying, this is non-consensual sex. I, I just wish people who don't believe the Bible would just leave it alone and stop trying to twist it and confuse generations of young people. Um, Ezekiel 16.49 answers this question. It says, behold, this was the guilt. And in fact, many times the liberals will point to this verse right here. And of course, they only read part of it, right? And as we've taught you over and over again, the key to proper biblical understanding is all about context. Don't just read a verse and pull it out, okay? It says, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excessive food, and prosperous ease, and they did not aid the poor and the needy. And they'll say, see, Sodom wasn't being condemned because of homosexuality. It was because they were greedy people. Well, um, keep reading the Bible, okay? Verse 50 says, and they were haughty, and they did an abomination before me. And I read one uh, liberal preacher who said, this abomination isn't connected to the sexual sin. I'm like, and you know that because why? The Hebrew word is tobah, okay? And he says, because of this tobah, I removed them. I mean, I got them off the planet. I destroyed them. And in Leviticus 20, 13, it says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed a tobah, same Hebrew word. He says, Sodom, if you look at their sin, Right here, it's a progression. They're full of pride. Because of the pride, they had more food. They had enough food to share, but they wouldn't. They became living in the lap of luxury, and they did, stopped helping the, the poor. And see how it's progressing here? And then they became even more haughty, and then they committed the abomination. All sin begins with pride, selfishness, greed, whatever, and then it leads to where I just want to do whatever pleases me. And that's where this lifestyle comes from. So to say that Sodom and Gomorrah is not about homosexuality. It's not to read your Bible carefully at all. Leviticus 20, 17, 2013 talks about this same abomination. And they say, oh, someone's going to say, oh, but that's in the Old Testament. Okay, well, let's go to the New Testament. In fact, let's go straight to Jesus. Jesus made it abundantly clear. He, God, who created them from the beginning, created them male and female. When he's describing, the context is talking about marriage. And he said, therefore, a man, a grown man, so leave his father and his mother. Notice he has a father and mother, not two dads, not two moms. He has a father and mother, and he'll hold fast to his wife, his adult female. He says one marriage leads to another marriage. That's how marriage works. So by declaring what marriage is and how it is between an adult male and adult female, Jesus is eliminating several possibilities. He's eliminating polygamy. You say, well, Jesus didn't speak against polygamy. No, he's telling you what marriage is. Therefore, by default, he's telling you what marriage is not. He's telling you it's between an adult male and adult female, so therefore it's not a man and a girl. It's not a woman and a young boy. He's eliminating pedophilia. And he's also, by default, eliminating homosexuality. He's telling you what marriage is. So when you see people say, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, if he tells you what marriage should be, isn't he telling you what it's not? So, But again, we can go farther. Jude tells us what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was. Sodom and Gomorrah lived in the surrounding cities because he destroyed much more than those two twin cities, they indulged in what? Sexual immorality, and they pursued what? Unnatural desire. And again, liberals will say, oh, that's because they were trying to be with angels. The men didn't come to the door asking for angels. They thought they were men. It was men asking for men. And they even threatened Lot. Hey, if you don't give them that, we're going to do worse to you. So this is to, to read this with any, and you'll have people with PhDs saying, oh, the Bible didn't mean this. And it's just like, anybody can take Scripture and try to twist it in what they want. Just simply read the Bible for what it says. Continuing with the topic, unfortunately, here, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul was commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself. He makes it very, very, very clear homosexuality is a sin. And how we can get to the point today where we have churches that affirm a homosexual lifestyle is like you're not even reading the Bible. You're not even trying. You're not even trying to get even close to the truth of the Word of God. 
What's good, the good news is Paul tells us Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was made up of former prostitutes, former uh, male prostitutes, former everything you can think of, and a lot of them got saved. And he says, and such were some of you. Praise God that we can be saved from our past. Amen? He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So can homosexuals be saved? Absolutely. Can prostitutes, drug dealers, can any of us be saved? All of us can. Pick your sin. It all, all sin sends us to, to hell. Okay. Now, I will not make the ignorant statement of all sins the same in the eyes of God. That is absolutely not true. Okay. I've preached that over and over again. But all sin will send you to hell. So whether you are a really bad sinner and got saved, or you were a really wicked sinner, you know, and not, or a so-so sinner, we're all sinners, right? But we all can be washed. We all can be sanctified. We all can be justified. And, but we need to say it was us, not is us. Those things need to be in our past. That doesn't mean we don't slip and trip and fall every now and then. But as a manner of lifestyle, if you're truly born again, those things are in your past. Matthew eleven twenty three, Jesus says, And you, Capernaum, Capernaum was the middle of Jesus' ministry. He said, will you be exalted to heaven? Now, you're going to be brought down to hell. That's what the word Hades means. He said, for if the mighty works, because Jesus did a lot of miracles for them, had been done, had been seen in Sodom, it would have remained, that city would have remained to this day. There'd still be a Sodom war alive today if, they had, if I had done these miracles then. But I tell you that it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. In other words, tells us there's levels of judgment because there's levels of sin. He's saying that when you stand before the great white throne and you're judged, what is going to be your excuse? You saw me do miracles. You had the Messiah. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have me there in person. I didn't even go down. I sent two angels to destroy it. Now, they won't be without excuse, but you, how much more do you have less of an excuse as to why you didn't trust me as your Lord and Savior? Behold, I... This is now we're back to the story. And Lot says, I, I don't know, I, I can't I have trouble even reading this story, this story. Behold, I have, have two daughters who have not who are virgins. Are you really going there, Lot? I, I, I this is I don't know. Let me bring them out to you. And I hear the girls and they're like, Dad, what? And and then he says, Do to them as you please. And there's the problem. Life is not about you do what you please. It's not about what pleases you. It's what pleases God. And that, that's where we've lost it in America. That's where we've lost it in this world. Nobody is trying to please God. Everybody is about, I have a right to please myself. You can't tell me that I can't please myself. I can do whatever I want to please myself. And God says, no, you can't. Don't be that selfish. Selfishness hurts people. Selfishness has created human trafficking. Selfishness has created the, the, the global problems that we have. You name it. It's all because everybody's trying to please themselves. And Lot's just, here's, now Lot is a believer. You, you say, really, Gary? Well, just, just stay with me. You'll see this. Now, I, wish to, I would like to say, no, he's lost. Look at his behavior. But the Bible says otherwise. He's preaching to them the, the gospel of the American gospel, please yourself. Please yourself. That's what, hey, just make yourself happy. Be, be you, be you. That, that's what we're, we're being taught all over our whole entire culture. And he says, only don't do nothing. He's male. You know, I have angels in my house here. I don't want you to hurt them, you know, because they're holy. My daughter's, oh, here, do what you want. And you see this separation between the sacred and the secular. Like we have parts of our life that are holy. Oh, no, I would never cuss in church. But on Monday morning, I talk differently. You know, and we divide as if, God didn't make everything in your life holy. Everything is meant to be special. Every thing is meant to be sacred. And he says, you know, these men have come under my roof, so therefore I have an obligation to protect them. Um, I think your daughters are under your roof. You don't see any obligation to protect them. You know, I have, um, I have three sons and six daughters, one deceased. But I tell you what, there's something that lights up in a dad that needs to protect a daughter. And fathers, you should be that way. I mean, you want to protect your sons too, but to a certain point, they can take care of themselves. But man, you should be overly protective of what your daughter sees, what she hears, who she's around. You should be checking her phone like there's no, no tomorrow. You should be taking care of those things and protecting. And Lot fails, fails miserably. Say, man, our, 
are we as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah? That, that's pretty bad. You know, are, are we that bad? Um, did you see what happened on the Grammys? Full-blown Satan worship. And this is not a Christian conspiracy. Full-blown Satan worship followed by a standing ovation and nobody in the media hardly blinked. In fact, the only issue they had with it was that Christians were complaining. And here is Sam Smith with horns like the devil and singing about a song. The song is entitled Unholy and singing about unholy, bad, nasty behavior. And he is a non-binary homosexual, whatever you want to call him, male. And in the cage is a transgendered woman, a male who thinks he's a woman, who's had the surgery and everything like that, um, Kim Petras. And they sing this duet, which won the Grammy Award for Pop Duo of the Year. And this is a song called Unholy. And these two people are praised. These two men who have no idea what manhood is about because they've been confused by the devil are singing a satanic song, and the country says, this is awesome. This is fantastic. You say, Gary, you're just, you're just coming to us. This, is, this was just shock value. No, it's not. When Sam Smith texted out, this is going, tonight's going to be special, CBS, CBS's official Twitter page says, you can say that again, we are ready to worship. They're worshiping the devil. There was no hiding this. This was not just for shock value, entertainment value. This, is, this was just nastiness. You say, but that's just entertainment, Gary. That's just Hollywood that being Hollywood. No, this is systemic to our entire planet. The richest people in the world are involved in pedophile rings. Jeffrey Epson didn't hang himself. Sorry, I don't have to get political, political. They made sure that he did because he was going to testify against some of the most powerful people on the planet for molest. You see, you look at what Sodom and Gomorrah did. It was men molesting men. But we're talking about children in America. We're talking about children worldwide. Jeffrey Epstein's groomer was Giselle Maxwell. And here's Giselle Maxwell. She's been dealing with Disney since 1985, hosting some of their major events to groom and to recruit children into the pedophile rings. You say, oh, Gary, you don't believe all that stuff. Well, two years ago, a bunch of Disney employees were routed up for child pornography. You say, well, that was two years ago. Did you see what happened last week in Orange County, Florida? More Disney employees arrested for child pornography and trying to have sex with minors. It, it just, it's just horrible. And, and, you know, so who owns Disney? ABC. So you think you heard this on ABC? You know, ABC also owns ESPN. You think you heard about it there on the sports network? No. They want to, talk, they want to push this stuff on you. They want to, they want, they're trying to groom your children. So men with men, you want to do that thing? Go do that. But leave our children alone. So can I say that we are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah? I think we're there. They have the nerve to say, you stand back, Lot, you know. And then they start making fun of them. They said, oh, this guy just came to visit. Now look, next thing you know, he's the judge. He's on city council and he thinks he's a bigwig. And so like, oh, you're the judge. Who are you to judge us? I mean, isn't that the anthem of America today? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I can sleep with whoever, whenever, what age, whatever, male, female, who cares. I can be whatever I want to be. Don't judge me. And, of course, Oprah and everybody else wants to quote Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. Only God, people wear t-shirts. Only God is my judge. I'm like, once again, you're twisting scripture. Read the rest of the passage. Jesus says, don't judge. He said, don't, don't be a hypocrite when you judge. First. First, before you can judge someone, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly, to see the speck in your brother's eye. Don't judge someone else when you've got a big log out of your own eye saying, oh, you've got a splinter in your eye. First, take this out and say, hey, can I help you with the speck in your eye? Oh, don't judge me. No, Jesus is clearly saying, if they don't think that's clear enough, John 7, 24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but you should judge with righteous judgment. He's telling you, you have to use right judgment. Don't do hypocritical judgment, but you should judge. If someone comes to your house and wants to take your daughter out on a date, I guarantee you, you're going to judge them. You're going to make some discerning decisions as to whether it's a good guy or a bad guy. And you're going to be able to look at people's behavior and say whether it's right or wrong. If we can't do that, then how are you, Paul says, then how are you going to even judge the angels? And then they threaten them and say, oh yeah, if you don't let us have these men, we'll deal with worse with you than we would have with them. So they, they plan on doing bad things. 
Then they pressed hard against Lot. They already, maybe they're already starting this process of assaulting him. And they pressing, this crowd is pressing hard to the door that the door is about to break. These are not flimsy doors like we have here in America. These were rock-solid doors that people lived in a wicked city. And yet they're pressing so hard the door is about to break. Then we see the angelic action. The angels don't just stand there. They respond. Then the men, talking about the angels, they reached out their hands. Now think about this. Hundreds and hundreds of men are pressing against this one guy at his front door, so much so the door's about to break. How do you logistically open the door, grab Lot, and shut the door? I picture a bunch of fingers being, ah, you know, smashed or something. I'm not really sure how he did it. But you talk about some superhuman strength that they could open the door, grab him, push the door back, really quick, really powerful as the way I picture it in my mind. And they brought Lot into the house with them and they shut the door. And then they struck with blindness the men. Now the word blindness means like a dizziness. So like the room is spinning and like everything's out of control there where they can't even see straight. It's not like a black blindness. It's a dizziness. It's a confusion, which is kind of ironic because the Bible calls this behavior confusion. It says, at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Now, if you're engaged in a bad behavior and angels strike you blind saying, hey, stop doing this, you think, oh, wow, man, okay, God, you got my attention. But no, even though I can't even hardly see straight, I'm still going to kind of get what I want to get. And I think we can be guilty of that, to where God says, hey, stop doing that. And you're like, oh, no, no, I still want my sin. I still want it so badly, I'm willing to grope through the blindness to get to my sin. It says, so, and then the men, the angels, said, Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws? Now, technically, as sons-in-laws, they were engaged. Some people say, and I read this several times, and I don't agree with it, that the reason Lot settled number 10 is because Lot, Mrs. Lot, daughter, daughter, but then he has son-in-law, son-in-law, so he must have other daughters that are married. And then when he says anybody else, somehow they round up to 10, and that's not at all. It's, it's Mr. and Mrs. Lot, two daughters, and the two daughters are engaged because they've not known a man yet. Okay, So that's why they, these are, are son-in-laws to be. Because remember, back in those days, engagement was the same as marriage. You had to get a divorce to get out of it, just they hadn't come together yet. He says, so do you have, even have anyone to bring out of this place? Now, the angels know the answer. Why are they asking the question? So Lot, hey, you think your son-in-laws want to go? We'll see here in a second. They don't want to go. Do you have any sons? No, you don't have any sons. Do you have any daughters? Is there anyone that maybe you've had a, an influence on their life that might want to leave this place? Let me ask you a question. If Jesus was coming to judge the world tomorrow, who would you be able to bring out? Are your children on board with Jesus? Is your spouse on board with the Christ? Do your neighbors know the Lord because of you? Relatives? Is there anybody you could bring out? That's a, that's a tough question, isn't it? I have to ask myself the same thing. So it says, for we're about to destroy this place because the outcry, remember last week we learned about the outcry, that the, the sins of this was so wicked it was rising up to heaven. Angels were speaking out against it. God was against it. The people that were the victims of it, there was four different outcries. Even nature itself was crying out against it before the Lord. And the Lord sent us to destroy it. But Lot's family lingers. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws who were to marry his daughters. See it right there. Very clear. I don't know how people could not read that and say they were already married and that adds up to 10. But up. You guys need to get out of this place. You see Lot's starting to catch on to the urgency here. For the Lord is about to destroy this place. But he seemed to, to his son-in-laws just to be joking. <laughs> Which, you know, if he had any credibility, they'd be like, really, what's going on? But obviously, they were used to Lot just being a, a clown. Lot was just a joker. Lot was a jester. And he's not a guy to be taken seriously. Maybe he's had too much to drink again, because we'll see how that comes up. And as the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters. They know who's really going to come. Who are here, lest you be swept away. And there's the language of like the flood. Like last time God destroyed the earth with a flood. This time he's destroying it, but he's using that analogy here in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. So the men seized him. I'm thankful there's life times in my life 
where I was kind of dragging my feet, and God said, no, get up, let's get out of here. And God literally kind of grabs me by the hand and pulls me out of a stupid situation. And we're thankful for the mercy of God that God sometimes rips us out of situations, even if it's even against our own will. Maybe we lose a job that we, God knew we wouldn't quit, so he gets us fired, or whatever it takes. God is willing in his mercy to seize us out of situations and be merciful to us like he was merciful to Lot. And he brings them out by the hand. I picture an angel with daughter, daughter, and the other angel, Lot, Mrs. Lot, or some combination of there, just literally pulling these people out of the city as they don't really want to leave. Don't know why. I mean, Lot obviously isn't participating in the behavior that they're, behave that they're involved in. So what would keep Lot there? It's about the money. The only reason he went there in the first place is because it was prosperous. He was, and he's in a position of power, He's in a position of prestige. He's, he's making money. And that was his God. Be really careful about the jobs you take, the places you live, the houses you live in because of the money. It's not all about the money. And there's a lot of other idols that we could talk about, but that was definitely, I think, lots. And then as they brought them out, one of the angels said, escape for your life. You can see the urgency here. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. He's telling them this for two reasons. One is, you got to get it quick because we're going to destroy this place. But number two, forget this place. Stop looking back. Stop lingering. Don't even stop anywhere. Just keep moving on. Get far and fast away from this place as possible. And, they, and what, once again, Lot, you think after all that's happened, he'd be like, man, whatever you say, I am on board with. Oh, no, my lords. Are you really going to argue with God's messenger? <laughs> You're really going to do that. Behold, your servant, you know, here, let me talk religious here to you, has found favor. You know, you've been really good to me, and uh, you've shown me a great kindness in saving my life, so I'm just going to ask you for even more. I cannot escape to the hills. Cannot or will not. God asks us to do difficult things sometimes. In fact, a lot of times. Is it because we cannot or we will not? The stubbornness abounds here for sure. And he said, I don't want to escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. And again, the guys who are in charge of the disaster know what they're doing, but he doesn't really think that they do. He said, behold, this city over here, it's near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? Well, the city they went to, Zoar, compared to some, some it was, but it really wasn't. It had its own king, so it was big enough. But once again, sin blinds us, and we tend to exaggerate things. Like, see how tiny it is? It really wasn't that tiny. It, it, was, it was not that much smaller than Sodom and Gomorrah. But he's exaggerating. And he, he's still wanting a city life. He's still wanting somewhere where he's in control. Maybe there's some money, whatever it may be. We're not really sure all the details. And the angels say, okay, whatever. You're being stubborn. I'll grant you this favor, and I will not oversit. So the explosion, it was like God says, I'm going to nuke Houston. And you say, but can I stay in Pearland? And God's like, okay, I'll try to make the explosion go around Pearland because it's going to destroy greater Houston area, but I'll try to make it go around to spare that city. It was going to be destroyed, but I'll spare it. So escape there quickly. Once again, the urgency and Lot's still lingering. His family's still lingering. They're still hesitating. He says, because I can do nothing to arrive there. And you, know, you see all these pictures of Lot and them looking back and the explosion behind them. That's not accurate because they had to arrive where they were going before the explosion could happen. Just mental note there. Therefore, the name of the city was Little. That's what Zoar means. So he called it a, the Little Town. So now we see the judgment of Jehovah, the judgment of Jehovah. So the sun had risen on the earth, and Lot came to Zoar, and then the Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He said, okay, this is just one of those stories in the Bible. You know, it's like Noah's Ark. It didn't really happen. Oh, yeah? Archaeologists have been undigging Sodom and Gomorrah for over 13 years and of finding amazing things that confirm the Bible. Here's a quote. The archaeologists who have been working on the site for 13 years reported discovering evidence of intense heat. Watch this. This included clay and rock that had been turned into glass. This would require a brief burst of heat between 8 to 12,000 degrees Celsius. You tell me that God didn't rain down fire from heaven like that. I mean, it's obvious. In fact, keep reading. that They wrote the physical evidence from Tal... El Haman, which is the site of the, of the dig, 
and the neighboring sites exhibit signs of highly destructive concussive and thermal event that one might expect from what is described in Genesis 19. That's what the archaeologists have said. And then God says, I overthrew the cities, which is interesting because that's the language that implies like an army, that God's army was fire from heaven. That's the way he cho chose to destroy them. And it says, but Lot's wife, who's walking behind Lot, she's not keeping up. Why? Because she's not as motivated to get out. She looks back. And she became a pillar of salt. And some artists have rendered something like this. There's actually rock formations in that area that's called Lot's wife. And it looks like a female. And it's just this big, tall stone structure. I don't know if that's it or if it's just a coincidence that it looks like it. Other archaeologists have found the real reason that Lot's wife did. And here she was taking a selfie is what happened. And that's how she turned into a pillar of salt. Story there on many levels. And Abraham went in early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. So Abraham gets up. And you know, remember how he walked a long ways with the Lord and the angels? And then he begged the Lord, you know, and he prayed and asked him to spare this city. Lot went back to that place where God said, yes, I'll spare this city. And he thinks, what will I see? And he looks out over the city and, and he doesn't, what he sees isn't good. But he went back to the place where he had a conversation with God, which is a great place to go, believers. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace and some artist rendering says it may have looked something like this, like a nuclear mushroom cloud. And this is what he saw in the destruction of the city. Now remember, Abraham begged for God to spare the city. And some people think, oh, he's just trying to spare Lot. No, do you remember? He took his own personal army and extracted Lot out before. He could have done that. He was praying for the city. His heart broke for the city. I think Abraham cried when he saw this. As he's picturing thousands and thousands of souls gone up in flames and in hell suffering for eternity. I think that's what he saw. And Jesus stood over Jerusalem and shed tears and said, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. You know, if, if you could just be like chicks, I could be like a mother hen and take you into my arms. But you won't. We need to weep for the city. We need to weep for Pearland, for Brookside Village, for Houston. We need to weep for what's happening. You realize we talk about child pornography and child trafficking. Houston is one of the number one hubs on the planet. This is happening right under our feet. We need to weep for our city as Abraham, I believe, did. So it was that God destroyed the cities of the valley, but God remembered Abraham. See the two verbs there? Destroyed, remembered. Destroyed, remembered. Someday when you stand before God, you're going to be one of those two. You're going to be destroyed and you'll be separated from God for eternity or you'll be remembered because God made a promise to you and you chose to accept that promise. So there's the angelic ambassadors, the wicked welcomers, the angelic action, but Lot's family lingers. There's the judgment of Jehovah. And then that brings us to the last point here, the daughter's debauchery. Just when you thought the story could not get worse, it does. So now Lot went up to, out of Zoar, and he lived in the hills with his two daughters. Now watch this. Where did he ask to go? Hey, can I go into that city? Can I go to that city? Like, okay, okay, all right, go, go to that city. And now he won't go into the city because he's afraid. He's got PTSD, post-traumatic Sodom disorder. He's, he's scared to go into the city. He's like, now he doesn't even trust the city. So he's living in a cave. Think about that. He was had a cattle industry that was so big that it was overlapping with Abraham's, and he's so blessed, and now where is he? He's in a cave. Do you see where sin will take you? Sin will take you farther than you plan to go, keep you longer than you plan to stay, and cost you more than you plan to pay. You don't even dabble with it like Lot did. Lot started off just like looking at Sodom. Okay, well, I'll move my tent kind of close to Sodom. Well, I guess I'll go and actually move into Sodom, and now I'll be in charge of Sodom, and he didn't think he would be there and almost got destroyed with Sodom. So the two daughters, the firstborn says to the younger, our father's old and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all. Is that right? Is that an exaggeration? That's a major exaggeration. You don't think God spared somebody that could have been a good husband for them somewhere? I, I, they're, they're, I think Some people think that they actually thought the whole earth was just destroyed. Like, God promised not to destroy it with water again. He was destroyed with fire, and he did. He, like, he nuked the whole planet, and they're like the only three survivors. I don't know. That may be a stretch, but 
sin blinds us to the point where we exaggerate our circumstances. There, there's nobody. So what idol is being worshipped here that leads to this sin? That culture valued family a lot. And that's good. Valuing family is a good thing, amen? But they valued family to the point it was an idol. Women valued children. That's a great thing. But they felt like if I don't give birth to a child, I'm like nobody. And that's not a good thing. They, childbearing had become idolatrous in this culture. Where they felt like they had just had no purpose in living if they didn't give a child. We go on the other extreme. It's like children, oh, pff, just abort that. That's a pain. That's just a, a bad consequences for having fun the night before. It just We devalue children now to, to a farther extent. But there's got to be a balance. And here they're, they're idolizing, thank you, uh, the family here too much. So they say, come let us make our father drink wine. They probably couldn't, as wicked as Lot was, they knew they couldn't have gotten him to do this without some intoxication. Be careful what you do with wine. This is one of a dozen stories of bad things that happen when wine is involved and too much drinking. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. Sad, sad situation of incest. It, Lot's going to become a father and a grandfather at the same time. And he didn't even know when she lay down or when she rose. How drunk do you have to be to have no clue that this is happening? And this doesn't say he acted like. It says he did not know. It's stating as fact. I, I've, I've never been drunk or high in my life, but I know, I've been around people who are. This is pretty wasted. So the next day, this is going to happen again. You think Lot would have woke up and said, well, something doesn't seem right here. You know, and why am I so hungover and what happened and all that? And they said, let's make it happen tonight also. So they could have stopped and repented. So, you know, I think last night was a mistake, but the other daughter has to keep her into the promise. But you've heard the old phrase, trick me once, shame on thee. Trick me twice, shame on me. There's only so many times you can repeat a sin where you can stop blaming other people, okay? And, and Lot in this situation, somewhere you think he would have snapped too, but again, he doesn't because he's not walking with the Lord like he should. So thus, both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their fathers. You know, the Bible, sometimes we look at it at a glance wrong. Like, the Bible's full of heroes, and we need to be like them. We need to be like David who slides Goliath, and we need to be like Peter who walks on water. Those, are, those highlights are few and far in between. There's a whole lot more stories like this showing you, man, yeah, stupid. Man, yeah, he's stupid. And here's man again, he's stupid. And look how many times, look how sinful man is. And then there's Jesus, who's perfect. The hero of the Bible is Jesus, okay? And even David, the Goliath, it's not about you killing your Goliath. It's David represents Jesus Christ. We're the ones up in the hills scared to come down and fight. And Jesus goes and he fights our battle for us. The Bible's full of, of all these things. In fact, if the Bible, as skeptics and atheists say, is just a book written by a bunch of religious men who make themselves out to be the heroes, they did a really bad job. Peter was heavily involved in writing the book Gospel of Mark, and he looks like an idiot. Matthew tells you how bad he was. Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, they all who wrote the Bible say, yeah, we were idiots. Jesus is amazing. That's different than any other religious book on the planet. So the firstborn, her son was called Moab, which means son of my father. She might as well have named them bastard. Sorry, harsh language here. But that's what she named them, from my father. Hey, what's your name? Um, I, come, I, I, was, I was conceived by my grandfather. It, it's, just a, it's a horrible name. And here is a, He's the father of the Moabites. Were the Moabites good people later? No, they became such a pain in the side of Israel for generations. But can anybody remember one famous Moabitess? Ruth. God can take the most wicked, evil, disgusting situation and bring something beautiful out of it. Because Ruth would be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. You see, God can bring a beautiful out of it. How dark is your situation right now? Your marriage, your job, your health? How dark is it right now? God can bring something beautiful out of it, no matter what it is. That's what he does. That's what he specializes. He looked, the other daughter, she names it Ben-Ami. Ben means son of, and uh, Ami means of our people. And that's where we got the name the Ammonites. So Ammonites, were they good people? No, no, they, were, they were, became a pain in Israelite's side. 
Um, so let's compare Noah and Lot. What Noah went through and what Lot. This is just amazing, the poetry in the Bible and how Moses was brilliant in the way this was written. Of course, he had the help of the Holy Spirit. Noah, there was fallen angels trying to have relations with women. But here in, with Lot's story, wicked men are trying to have relations with angels. See how the script is flipped? Of course, they don't know that they're angels, but that's what's happening in reality. Um, so Noah, he finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. And, and this is one of the things they both have in common. Lot finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. And that's why they're both saved by grace. Both messed up. Lot probably more so. Noah, God destroys the whole earth. And in Lot's story, God destroys the whole valley. In Noah's story, he says, I will send down rain. And there's the Hebrew word for that, which I don't know how to pronounce. And God uses the exact same word, saying, I'm going to rain down from heaven. But this time it's not water raining down. It's brimstone and fire. Noah plants a vineyard and gets drunk from wine. And he's exposed to his children. Lot's daughters get him drunk from wine, and he becomes exposed to his daughters. So there's a lot of parallels there. And this is really about compromising Christians because we make selfish decisions. We do. We're, we're a lot more like Lot than we probably want to admit. Compromising Christians often follow money more than God. Compromising Christians put themselves in simple situations while justifying themselves as, well, I'm not as bad as them. I'm sure that's a lot of attitude. I'm heterosexual. I'm married. I got kids. I'm not as bad as these people. Compromising Christians have more leadership in the world than they do in their home. It's a pretty sad commentary. Compromising Christians aren't, aren't taken seriously by unbelievers. When you, when you compromise, you don't live right, and then you try to talk about the Bible, People just roll their eyes. They don't, they don't take you seriously, just like Lot's son-in-laws didn't take him seriously. Compromising Christians will put loved ones in danger while they're compromising with evil. Lot's daughters were put in a very dangerous situation. Compromising Christians often struggle with substance abuse, as Lot did and Noah did. Sadly, compromising Christians should not expect their kids or their grandkids to follow Jesus. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but you shouldn't expect it if you're living a compromised life. Compromising Christians seldom truly repent even after disaster strikes, kind of like Lot, Lot did. So you're saying, Gary, really was Lot a believer? Are you serious about that? Again, don't take my opinion. Second Peter 2, Peter calls him righteous Lot. What life is he looking at? Well, what kind of righteousness could have been? It was obviously not his own um, he goes on and says, For that righteous man lived among them day after day, and he was tormenting his righteous soul. Three times he calls Lot righteous. And he even says he's living in a bad situation because living in them, that, that sickening, disgusting cesspool was wearing him down you know, with everything that he saw and he heard. So, so here's what the Bible tells us. For our sake, he made Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned, but he became sin because he took on our sin so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. You see, we can compare ourselves to Lot, but the truth is we're all sinners. And the only reason anybody can call us righteous is if we've received the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So this sinner right here stands before you, all my flaws and all my failures, but I can say that I'm righteous, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done. He lived the life that I should have lived, and then he died the death I should have died, and we traded places. He gave everything he had ever done right to me. He took every sin that I had ever committed upon him. It's called the great exchange. And, and you too can be in that situation. If you will put your faith in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you will give your life to him, make him Lord of your life. You see, it goes on to say right here, Luke 17, 32. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He says, remember Lot's wife. And then what does he say about that? Whoever seeks to preserve his life. Lot's wife wanted to preserve. I want my life back there in Sodom. I want those things. I had a nice house. My husband was an important man. We were prestigious. We were making lots of money. I had a beamer. I had all these nice things. She wanted to preserve her life. What did she do? She lost it. But the Bible says whoever will lose his life will keep it. How do you lose your life? 
you give it to Jesus. Say, here, Jesus, here's all my decisions, all my plans. I give them all to you. And Jesus says, guess what? You get to keep your life. It's your choice. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll give your life to him. Here, Lord, you're your control. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. They died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. Literally, you will be saved. Do you know Christ in that way? Have you accepted the righteousness of God? I'm going to ask everyone, if you would, to pray, to bow your heads. And if you know Christ, would you pray for those who do not? But if you don't, today's the day when you can give your life away. Remember Lot's wife. She wasn't willing to give it away. Will you? Will you give your life to Christ and accept his, his life, eternal life that he gives to you? He took all your sins, everything you've ever done, all the shame, all the guilt, all the pain, and he bore it upon his shoulders so that you would not have to be judged by God. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this story. As, as dark as it is, the darker the darkness, the brighter the light. So in this story, we see how much Christ really loved us, how Christ could even die for Sodom, Gomorrah, Caroline, Houston, you, me, all of us. As wicked as we are, Christ would still come into this dark, dark world and be the light of the world and give salvation to all who would believe. We're thankful that the gift is free and that it is by grace so that you get all the glory. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made a decision for Christ or you want to know more about that, there's my number. Please call me, text me. I would like to talk to you more about Christ. We're going to, so if you have any questions, you can text them in right now and to that number right there. Um, I'm going to just actually do this myself. One person asked, did Disney hide the children to kidnap them? Um, it's being investigated, but the problem is Disney has its own domain, literally, to where they're not subject to any Florida law or anything like that. They have their own police force and everything like that. So anytime a child went missing at Disney, it was turned over to Disney police and, if, and then investigated by the FBI, who people think was in on it. We're finding that our, our, our FBI is corrupt, and so they weren't investigating it either. And um, uh, a lot of the, the rest were, were connected with the Disney Cruise Lines. They were actually taking these family cruises with kids, and they, guess where they were snorkeling? In Eps near Epstein Island. So there's a lot of going on there that we'll probably never know because until the Judgment Day. Um, another question, um, what does Jesus say about Lot? All he says is remember Lot's wife. Great question. He doesn't think about Lot specifically. Uh, Peter and Jude talk about light, Lot, and they always call him righteous Lot, which if Lot can be saved, we can be saved. Amen? <laughs> so that, that's a great testimony there. Um, was Lot, here we go, was Lot raped when he first arrived in Sodom? Maybe. Uh, if that's the way they welcome people, it's possible. We have no way of knowing. Um, but the only clue, and this is a not a strong one, is that they said, if you don't bring the men out, we'll do worse to you than we were going to do to them. They didn't say, hey, remember what we did to you, you know. So I don't know if somehow he escaped that that welcome. Uh, here we go. Um, seeing a city exploded is a spectacle, a crazy thing any woman would be interested to see. Why was Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt for looking? She didn't look at the explosion. That's what I was trying to say. I maybe didn't emphasize enough. They, the angel said, we can't do anything to you arrive at Zoar. She was looking back before they got to Zoar. She was looking back at the city she loved. She was looking back at her home, her possessions, and all that stuff. So she was not looking back at an explosion. Um, so it says, why would she turn into a pillar of salt and looking back at an explosion? But Abraham was fine. She wasn't. She was look, in fact, the word looking back meant she looked back with longing. You know, you can look at a guy, but then you can look at a guy, or you can look at a woman, you can actually look at a woman. She was looking with longing, like, oh, I love my city, I wish I was still there. Uh, here's a comment. At the Grammys, they also had some mock, someone mocked the last summer supper and same, say some extremely evil things. I didn't hear about that. That's not surprising them. Going as far as to say that, 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 that they are the new covenant. They mock our God, but as, your, but as yourself. Um, what other religions would they do this to? They don't. You don't see atheists attacking Buddhism. You don't see websites dedicated to deconstructing from Islam, hardly at all. Everybody's attacking Christianity because it's the truth. 
And then it says, be careful who you listen to and watch your young ones. Very true. Last question. Uh, if we are living in present-day Sodom and Gomorrah, how should we not be like righteous Lot? That's why I spend so much time talking about the pathetic path of the compromising Christian. We need to not be compromising. We need to take a hard stand. You will look like fools. That's what Paul said, but I'd rather be a fool for Jesus' sake than, than a wise in the wisdom of the world. You're going to look different. People are going to think you are intolerant, arrogant, homophobic, all those things. But, oh well. You know, Jesus said that broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many there are that go thereby. But narrow is the road that leads to life eternal, and only a few find it. So if you're saved, be thankful you're part of the few. Don't be, think, oh, I'm part of the few because I'm better than them. No, you're, 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 you can be thankful that the grace of God found you and you need to share the grace of God with others. Amen. Great. Let's stand. Let's have prayer.